scary movie. Fear is defined as a feeling of agitation caused by the presence or imminence of danger. Why do you think people believe in ghosts? For fun? the world from the best-selling book that revealed every true and bloody detail now comes the motion picture that has already shocked 100 million Americans of Helter Skelter. Now, Lorimar Productions brings to full life Helter Skelter, the number one bestseller, the true story of the Charles Manson murders. I just kept stabbing her to stop screaming. I just wanted them to stop! If you don't stop, I'll have you removed. I've got a little system. Call the next witness. Do you think I'm kidding? Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Sharon Tate, Jay Sebring, Abigail Folger, Wojciech Frykowski, Stephen Parent, Lino LaBianca, and Rosemary LaBianca are not here with us now in this courtroom. But from their graves, They cry out for justice. You have just judged yourself. The world had never before witnessed anything like the Manson family. And God help us all if there's anything like it ever again. You say there are just a few? Well, there are many, many more. And they're running in the streets. They're all running in the same direction. And they're running right at you. Helter Skelter. The true story. The whole story. Now, 
made it even more powerful than we thought. Oh crap, was you I guys can... I don't know. <laughs> oh. I, I, was, I, was I was still messing with the earbud. <laughs> oh no, I... Uh, so I just... welcome one... Welcome everybody to the well... show. Sorry we're late. So welcome to the show. Uh, this is uh, Inside Movies Galore, episode number 20. And um, my name is David Streggy. I run Milwaukee, uh, um, as well as this podcast. And uh, here on the show today, a, a guest who may become, we don't know yet. So, uh, so um, why don't we say hi to her? Hi, Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Hi. Hi, everyone. It's been Susie. Well, um, from what thank, I understand, thank you for inviting me on. Most definitely, uh, and uh, you can definitely hang with us whenever we we can uh, get us on the air. So, um, um, <laughs> so it's the challenge. I tasked the group to watch. We watched Helter Skelter. Helter Skelter. The reason why is because Manson had recently died, and I wanted to, um, at least a film that he uh, he was at least about him. Michelle, what did you think of the film? Was this your first time viewing it? Uh, no, I had watched it uh, prior, but it was like a long, long time ago, so I did watch it again. But also... Um, before I watched it, uh, I watched it once the other day, too, and then I watched part of it, and then I was going to finish watching it, but I just watched the whole thing again today. But I also spoke with my mother, and that was an era where she was, you know, very much, you know, alive and kicking and doing a lot of things, and there was a lot of different cult activity that was going on in the time. So I got a little bit of insight from her also into the whole you know the way the way everything came out with the way the song came out and then uh the whole kind of putting the spin on that he was hearing the directions from the devil in the lyrics or something and <laughs> so you know then what you know hearing about it you know kind of like asking questions and then i did a little bit of research you know on everything and then watching the movie you sit there and you watch and you just i can't even imagine why these people would just you know, follow him blindly and go kill people. And I don't understand crazy, I suppose, is what it is. But, yeah, it's just kind of mind-blowing. And then at that time frame, there were so many cults. There was, it was like a normal thing. Not necessarily a good thing, but it was very normal for that time. But it, just, it was just, you know, a cult that went completely awry. And I, yeah, I, don't, I don't get the whole why they would follow him. He was a nut. And you see somebody <laughs> like that, and most of us would... Sane people would run, <laughs> run, not walk, walk away. Well, I did have, um, so I did have kind of an insight into that. So was, was the way that the actor portrayed him, was that accurate to like how he was like at the trial? Like, is that stuff he really yeah. said and did? Yes. Um, um, yes, it was. I, um, I had seen this, uh, case on, uh, it was a famous, I think it was 94 it was a documentary that uh diane sawyer did and they she just she and the documentarians they described everything that happened in this film as far as like him lunging at the judges and like he was that wide-eyed and crazy and he would like deliberately stare at certain people 
in the room to make them uncomfortable and would rehearse exactly what the girls were going to say each day and things like that. Uh, okay. So then, uh, because during some of the scenes when he was doing like his speeches, like up on the bench, um, like this person is clearly insane, but at the same time, like he had a lot of conviction and like force behind it. It, it was almost very charismatic and it's like, Oh, I can see how somebody could be brainwashed into worshiping this person. Well, to uh, Steve Railsback for uh, for putting on a phenomenal performance, even though this relatively rather slow, it's like you almost had to be like smoking at least a little bit of substance watching this film. Yeah, it was a it was what a pretty, I, pretty big slog. Although but, he, he, um, clear, he clearly I actually did thought his, that Steve Railsback. Yeah, he he clearly did on his a relatively of the portrayal of Hamden. Uh, uh, Think yeah. of the film back when you um. But. Yeah, I did. I didn't get to see my DVD copy of it because of time constraints. But uh, I was first introduced to it when I was five years old on a black and white TV. And uh, <laughs> my father liked to apparently traumatize me when I was young because I remember also watching The Shining when I was extremely young. And uh, hating any type of horror or nastiness in movies up until my upper teens because of it. And I remember that just looking at the way the actor portrayed it, just the look in the eyes, it just haunted me as a child. I watched it again in college. They were trying to analyze it, but I slept through a lot of that. Hmm. <laughs> I can see why. It's like freaking Lord of the Rings movie. So but, long. Uh, but still, I mean, to me, I thought it was very well done. I haven't seen the new one that they released, but they have quite a bit to live up to with that one. Uh, Definitely of course, probably heard about see, him uh, see that. Leaving his estate to his pen pal. And the man has like a $400,000 uh, or more in uh, money to leave. And of course, his name, <laughs> uh, apparently, which uh, can be made money off of by his, um, well, by the person who got his estate. So that's an interesting. That's, it's kind of a crazy I didn't twist. Realize, uh, and I didn't yeah. realize until I watched a commentary on Searlisher uh, that, that uh, some of the things prison, uh, like he would actually make um, tarantulas out of human hair. And that was just creepy. Fine. <laughs> in any case, most things were creepy that he was associated with. But uh, um, Dane, why don't you give us a play of what you uh, you thought this uh, film? Well, it um, is definitely one of those definitive. Um, which Charles Manson wasn't really a serial killer per se, but I mean it's. He often gets uh, mistakenly lumped into that category, um, but it was probably one of the definitive movies about you know a notorious person that I've seen. It was very slow paced and very long, um, but 
very well done. I think factually they were right on. Um, Steve Railsback, I thought was he he was phenomenal as as Charles Manson. He really did his homework. Looked like him had the same kind of quasi spiritual convictions that he had, you know, and all that stuff. So it was it was really it did justice to the truthfulness of the events. It wasn't as graphic as I was expecting as I would in my head, as I would expect those scenes to be portrayed, but it was also 1976 on television too. So they couldn't have gotten away with the whole lot. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought it, it did. It what? It what? Did he die? What happened? (laughs) (laughs) You cut out for a moment, so... (laughs) Yeah, but bottom line is, I feel like it did a lot of justice to the reality of the case, and it's something I've researched quite a bit. And, um, you know, I I felt like they were truthful. Okay. Okay. So, uh... Bill, what uh, what did you find out about the times that were going on, Michelle? Oh, just in the, that time frame that that was it was like the the time of the cults, you know, the rise of the cults. There was also the rise of the serial killer, and and I kind of disagree. He did; he was a serial killer. It, he just didn't do it himself. He had other people do it, but they were. It was multiple killings, so that therefore it becomes a serial killer. Well, well, technically. That's not necessarily true because serial killers, generally, their pattern is they have a specific type of person that they uh, yeah, but he follow. still killed multiple people. I mean, he was only convicted for seven murders. He is, um, they think, I think it was like upwards of 35 that they believe he actually had a hand in people's deaths and he, that he did kill people himself, but he wasn't convicted for those. But uh, yeah. just killing multiple people, it's the very definition of a serial killer. It's just one without pattern. Yeah, well, there. I mean, there's a big. There are. Which is like the only person that could conceivably fit that model would be um, someone like Richard Ramirez, who I don't think had a particular type that he went after. Generally speaking, serial killers have a specific type that they go after, and they do it alone. Uh, generally speaking. But uh, and obviously, mass murderers are the ones who kill a lot of people in one sitting, pretty much. And so, in his case, in Manson's case, he just orchestrated his followers to kill specific kinds of uh, specific people. But yeah, with no pattern, so that's why I distinguish. I still think of it as because it was still multiple killings, and a lot were in the same way. And then he had with the with the blood writing that was like his uh, like signature that he started throwing on and that is serial killer ish type of behavior, even though his goal was to start a race race war. I would agree pretty much what I would agree with that assessment that he that he could be considered a serial killer because he's just been he was involved in too many incidents um, to really like disqualify him from that. I mean yeah he didn't do it himself um, supposedly. I don't know. I know basically nothing about this case beyond like rumors and like a few things here and there. Uh, so that's kind yeah, of a disclosure I, moment. Well, I, I researched it. I, I knew it quite a bit, and 
you have to remember that this was a time when uh, the Black Panthers were on the rise, which was another, um, which is kind of similar to the the Black Lives Matter group that uh, that has uh, 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 risen up in the political times of this day. So you have to, th uh, I mean, that uh, that's kind of why uh, why even though this film is dated, it resonates of the period uh, times that are we are in now what uh, I, I, I mean oh, moments cool. in history maybe uh, you had right uh, Dave's mic just uh, malfunctioned I guess uh, so pretend you didn't hear any of that um, <laughs> History repeats itself, and that is the, uh, I think that's really the lesson that you can take from it, is when we look at a piece like this, it's a slice in time, it's a uh, slice in culture, but these things, they come back, they, and uh, with history, you learn from it, or you repeat it, that's the, uh, that's the lesson that any, any piece can tell you. Most definitely. So, um, is the, it, now, Watching uh, the fil uh, film, anything else that um, anyone else gained from it? Well, one thing that they emphasized a lot that the Diane Sawyer documentary did not, for whatever reason, was they kept referring to Charles Manson as like a second Jesus Christ. And I've heard that comparison before, and it's just interesting the fact that you had these two people at two very different, very divisive times in history in their respective places who gained followers who were kind of of the, the dreg, who were either lost or misguided or of the dregs of society of their time um, to follow them. And in uh, Charles Manson's case, initially there was some kind of vague notion of peace and love but it was all about him you know all about his quest for power really and you know mirroring of him and with jesus we all know about the beatitudes and that sort of stuff and there's some uh instances of like you know i've come to bring you know uh to bring a sword and to turn brother against son and that kind of stuff but it just it's there's some parallels but obviously their fates are very different they're what the uh what they left in their wake is very different. It just, um, I find that comparison to be always very interesting. Um, well, Manson made that comparison himself. He called himself of Jesus course. Christ. And so and that's got, really where it came it, from. Yeah. Yeah. That's where it really came from. He was the one saying, I'm Jesus Christ reborn and, you know, glorifying himself. Yeah. Which was actually. Because he, he, had a, he had a horrible, he did have a horrible childhood and past. It is so, but I don't know how this man, looking the way he did, was able to control so many well, women and so was, many men. I just boggles the mind. One of the points that the one of the points that the um, Diane Sawyer documentary went into, which this did not go into as much, probably because they didn't feel like they needed to, because the thing was 1976, so it wasn't that long ago. But was the fact that. Um, San Francisco and California in the late 60s was this place where the hippie movement was founded and where all these young people were uh, growing their hair out and, you know, letting loose and experimenting and all that. And then 
in the later part of the decade, you had apparently more drug-involved people um, settling into Haight-Ashbury and, you know, these various other places where uh, hippies congregated, and that resulted in a lot more, like, violence and paranoia and other kinds of drugs that induced violence and paranoia uh, were coming onto the scene. And uh, so it's kind of in that, those kind of clashing of uh, those two influences, plus obviously the divisiveness in the culture where someone like Charles Manson, um, who apparently in prison excelled in a power of positive thinking class. Um, <laughs> yeah, he did. Um, and he had quite the way with uh, the, la- he had quite a way with the ladies and uh, used those skills. Plus just the way the world was turning at that moment. Uh, use those skills to his advantage. That's probably his key motivation. At least that's kind of that's kind of what they implied in a couple scenes, where they were like questioning the family about like what he would do. It's kind of like, hmm, I wonder. But they also they also stated that he was bisexual, so he did not really care. You know, he would manipulate men, women. It doesn't matter. And the one thing they didn't touch on in the film at all was a, another motive that he was turned down by you know music executives for putting out songs that the beach boys had been bringing him into the music scene and introducing him to producers and stuff so that that house the house where sharon tate was in was where this uh, i can't i I looked it up earlier and i've like the name is slipping my head of he used to live in this house a year prior and when they went to this house they were just told to kill everybody in it they weren't told specifically who was in it just to kill everybody in it so there was thought that he thought maybe that this guy was still living there and that was actually his true intention with this really? murder and it went then it went wrong so then he just kind of changed it up and decided let's keep doing this and so just keep killing random people i mean they went to the house across the street the next day yeah so well that yeah unfortunately well okay so, so tra- which means uh, there, there is a bit of a trade-off though i have to say there's, well, there's a bit of a trade-off because, unfortunately, I only, the only Manson song that I heard was at the very end when he's singing his song Garbage Dump, and you can barely hear it. But at the same time... Oh, yeah, yeah, well, uh, Dustin, he, he had um, an album that got released in 1970 uh, called Lie, the Love and... Uh, was it called? Um, the Love and, Lie, the Love and Terror Cult. Um and it was put out by mm-hmm. some, you know, like an independent label um, with, I think the idea was to try and raise money for the defense. And then what ended up happening is that the record was the proceeds for it because he, he couldn't uh, get money from it from being in prison. So the record, the proceeds went to benefiting the victims of violent crime. Um, so some good did come out of his music being out there. And if you've actually listened to his music, it's actually pretty darn good. You'd be surprised. Oh, I found the name. The, na- the name of that record producer was Terry Melcher. Yeah, but um, the yep. thing is that um, yeah, he tried to get his music recorded with the Beach Boys because they were connected through uh, the various girls that they were hooking up with at the time, and that's and they how they got- did put out some of his music. Yeah, well, they did get. And some they also music. put out the is several of his ramblings for records as well. Yeah. And um, but well, the trade-off I was speaking to is that you only get to hear that one song of his, but at the same time, 
you do get to hear a lot of Beatles songs from the White Album. They're not the original versions; they're covers, unfortunately. Yeah. But, but it was nice. <laughs> well, they do that. They do that for royalty reasons. They couldn't probably afford to well, pay yeah, but money to use the real songs. So. Obviously not. But at the same time, it was less expensive than it would have been if you tried to do that today, where you know the rights for those songs are just astronomically expensive, and they would have been expensive even back then. But the point is you at least got to hear these songs in some form that you don't normally get to hear in movies and these ones that uh, were directly relevant to the case. So I was like, okay, you know, that's, that, that's good. At least uh, I know that you can use Manson's own music a lot easier than you obviously could use the Beatles. Uh, um, I don't know what the legality of any of that stuff is now that he's dead. And I don't know what the, what all that is, but um you know, a lot of people have subsequently covered Manson's songs. Um, obviously, the Beatles were influenced by Manson and his culture. As we, that the, uh, the song Helter Skelter came from uh, the whole ensemble. Yeah, I only, re I only remember Helter Skelter from like that Ozzy Osbourne thing where he just uses it in the chorus. You mean you mean Manson was influenced by the Beatles? Manson was influenced. Beatles song came out first. Yeah, that's what I was trying to The say. White Album was out first. Yeah, the way David was saying it, he implied the opposite, and that's not true. A lot <laughs> of people have subsequently been inspired by Manson, but uh... oh damn it! So. Yeah. <laughs> So most people are influenced by the Beatles musically, not to go and murder people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that reminds me of uh, very true. Well, and uh, the the White Album is actually my favorite Beatles album as well. So we have that much in common. It's not really my thing, so I can't. Uh, yeah, Beatles. I guess they're a thing. <laughs> I grew up on the Beatles. I was a Beatles baby, so <laughs> yeah. I probably know the words to every single song. <laughs> I could probably Isn't sing it? most corn songs. Um, <laughs> what did everyone think of uh, Sadie's um, Sadie's role in the, uh, in the film? Which one was she? Was she the girl who testified? Linda Kasabian, yeah. Um, like, a lot of the characters, to me, were kind of interchangeable. Uh, I think I just kind of zoned out a little bit, because with a three-hour runtime, um, like, it kind of got fuzzy who was who. Um, but I remembered her, and she was, she was fairly haunting on the stand. Like, she was really convincing uh, in what she did with the role. You should and, definitely... Well, and the thing... It's a good thing somebody spoke up too, because goddamn, like yeah. just hearing about it. Ugh. You should you should definitely <laughs> watch the um, Diane Sawyer documentary because you get to hear from this would have been ninety four, but you get to hear from Charles Manson, Susan Adkins, Linda Cassay, uh, or Patricia Cronwinkle, and Leslie Van Houten. You get to hear from all of them um, after having spent at that time would have been like twenty five years in prison. And uh, the fact that the girls are all remorseful for what they did, even though they know that they deserve every amount of punishment that they have gotten. And then um, Manson, of course, is completely unremorseful and just bad, 
you know, just absolutely insane, you know. He's just like frothing at the mouth the whole time. Pretty much, and he's actually <laughs> even. You, you think that uh, Steve Railsback was, you know, I mean, he for as good as he was in the role, you look at the way Manson really acted. You know, he was ten times worse. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, you have to, uh, you have to think that uh, that there were a lot, a lot of people in that courtroom that were probably so morally against him because of how much he had um, inspired. Because. It, that's literally how he t- how he talked. Uh, you know, you know, he he was always say, uh, saying Whitey gonna, you know, war against Blackie. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty. That's pretty weird. Uh, that's 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 where he came from. His uh, well, he was born in Ohio, but his uh, one of his primary influences when he was a kid was a uh, mountain man, like a former. Uh, Someone from the I forget where it was Tennessee or wherever, but um, you know somebody who clearly had a lot of Confederate roots, and so you had that plus uh, his idolization of Hitler and all that stuff, and so you get a lot of these very like anti-Semitic, anti you know African American statements coming out of him. Yeah, that was that was so, uh, that, um, like I didn't really understand his plan. Like, so we're gonna start a race war by killing random ish people i well it i was confused it's, it was it's random that, rich white people the idea was it, to try and pin mm-hmm. it on african americans who were becoming uh militarized in some form you know with the black panthers and just with the general uh you know chaos going on in the country the idea to try and start uh incentivize these militant black people to rise up and start a race war and because he of course racists always think very heavily in terms of race to such a degree that you know that kind of stuff matters with literally life and death and so the idea is was this before or the idea was to expedite it so that way well after everyone had been killed more or less that they the family the manson family could come out of the bottomless pit from revelation and uh, take over what was left of the world because apparently, according to them, the the victorious black man would not be able to know how to rule the world. Hmm. You have to you have to understand it as an extraordinarily racist and distorted uh, reading of Revelation. Uh, if you know <laughs> Revelation, like I've read it several times, and you if you notice the symbols, the I mean, yeah. they remember the creature with the crowns. Well, that and there's, there's just so much more, um, but it's a very deliberately distorted, deliberately racist view of um, of Revelation. Well, he was obviously insane, so I guess I guess the plan makes sense in the sense that it's the plan of a crazy person. Yeah, um, you have to. Like, you have I just, to, you have I just don't quite see. I just don't quite see the dots, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, so Brandon, do you believe that um, Charles Manson was, in fact, a serial killer? Eh, it's a serial killer, mass murderer. I really think that he has more in common with a, sort of, he's almost a go-between, really, when you think about it. Not quite the uh, level of your uh, mass murderers on the 
uh, on his idols level, like Hitler or even those uh, those who would have killed uh, on that level, though I'm sure he would have if he could have. Uh, but at the same time, there is that sort of narcissism uh, and his own plan. I mean, uh, I, there's a more of a personal aspect to it, in my opinion, than it would be for most mass murderers, uh, which I think makes them closer to the serial killer, like an H.H. H. Holmes or a... Um, Okay. Oh. Yeah, sure. Or uh, uh, Carl Panzan, uh, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, out of but, all of them, but, uh, I really, really want to learn more about H.H. H. Holmes. Like, I wish there was a floor plan for that damn castle. You can't find it anywhere. It was a pretty good documentary uh, that, uh, that I, uh, I watched. H.H. Uh, H. Holmes, the killer, which you should uh, definitely check out. I'm pretty sure I've seen that. Um, like, I want a map of um, like what the castle was like, and it does not seem to exist from the research I did. It's in the next Saw movie. Yeah. I, I think, I think <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I think H.H. H. Holmes deliberately did not want uh, plans to exist for the simple reason that only he would know the layout, and I think that's why he had uh, different construction crews working on different parts of the building so that way nobody but him knew exactly where yeah, that was. was that was the Think idea it is kind of similar to like the witch he had, uh, he uh, the, two, the he kind of two motivations in that like he a lot of them he just outright stiffed so it was like oh okay it's like well you finish this one room uh, i'm not gonna pay you it's like well we're not working on the other rooms great according to plan well, um, it's a little bit, <laughs> a little bit like with uh, john wayne gacy had one of his uh, former uh, one of his employees um digging tunnels and holes underneath his uh, crawl space only in the areas that he marked off so that way he would not accidentally uncover the bodies that he had already buried under the crawl space which because the guy followed exactly his directions he did not discover the bodies under the crawl space it was only when there he was running out of room and when he had he invited the police who were watching him invited them into his house for a steak dinner to try and charm them and it was only when they noticed the smell coming up out of the air shafts that uh, they realized oh wait he's got dead bodies under his crawl space and you have oh to remember, remember the man and three mistresses so you know it's really it's, it's really interesting the perspective on this because like I love stuff. I love stuff like this. Like I love. I love horror movies. You know, like I love Leatherface and Jason and just every like slasher and thing out there. But when it comes to true crime, like it makes you feel kind of queasy. Um, it's it's like, funny because really I, I I can't get enough of serial killers. I research them all the time. I uh, watch a lot of documentaries. Research. I don't know. I just find it interesting because I feel like if we don't, if we turn away from these kinds of people. Well, it's like what they said in the beginning of this film. If we turn away and from these kinds of people and ignore the fact that they exist in our society and the, or that any one of us could conceivably get there if we were pushed far enough, then if, we're doing, if we keep doing that, then we're doing ourselves as a society, we're doing ourselves a terrific uh, disservice because we continue to not analyze the roots of these problems and why evil exists in the world and why people could conceivably get there. We just throw up our hands and say, I don't know. 
you know, it, he was just crazy. He was just this and that. And of course, it's never that simple. It's a just goes back to the basic Michelle. disease of the human heart. Yes, Michelle Hart. <laughs> what did you? Th uh, now I know we touched on this a little bit before, but you think that he was a serial killer? I do. I mean, because to me, the definition of a serial killer is being responsible for multiple murders, and that you know that they have a, a that they repeat, they keep repeating their killing, and uh, not all serial killers get caught. I mean, they're, they're I'm trying to remember which one it, it's a because uh, I was watching the 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 American it was the Zodiac killer. I'm watching that stuff, and then there was the one on the on Jack the Ripper that he might actually be an you know an American serial killer. And when you look at some of these, especially a long time ago, they don't have they didn't have any kind of way of doing forensics like they do now. Uh, people got away with it, and they could get away with maybe one, two, thirty, a hundred, two hundred, three hundred, a thousand murders, and nobody would even really even know. Yeah, they they not only did they not have the forensic stuff that they have now, but sometimes um, it was just laziness, or it was just asking questions to witnesses in a not consistent or a just poor poor way um so we're just not it, even finding bodies you yeah. know, not knowing where to yeah. look where people were coming remember, up missing so some of it remember that scene in from hell it's like when you find them in the river the cause of death is drowning like, yeah well, so some of it is uh some of it is forensic lack of technology some of it's just plain human error you know <laughs> or maybe that was sleepy hollow well, it's also about class. I mean, you got to keep in mind, back in those days, uh, your wealth and influence dictated the amount of attention that went to your cases. Um, so, I mean, and it really did. people could your, disappear your off social the street standing. and not be noticed. Well, and it's not, not only class, but also um, this is kind of a universal thing in terms of, like, uh, the birth of policing as we know it. Um is the idea of too often the police will this is i don't want to sound like too much of a blanket statement but it is the temptation to wrap things up in a very uh easy to explain bow is great like in the beginning of this movie you said them say oh it was just a, you know they were looking for drugs and stuff like that so the the temptation to kind of look down upon the you know lesser of society for like a simple explanation is great and then of course the more you unwind the yarn the uh crazier and crazier it gets and that just tells you that human beings are rarely simple and their motivations are rarely simple it uh it always stems back to some larger thing in this case it is just a a much uh more profound disease of the human heart, like I was saying, just this willingness to be led and this deep desire to control at the expense of human life and dignity. Hmm. Most definitely. Uh, to think that um, you can start out with just a very small group of people and uh, it'd be, it'd be like this and uh, get these his to do exactly as he had asked them to do. It's a, 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 and I think that's why people 
are so in, in story because of his influence and because you know it was a widely sensational th thing it ended up in the news media and it even had a mistrial so ultimately the this film was a play-by-play -play of the of the events involved but like um earlier uh, the, the one th thing that uh, that they seem to uh, to say over and over was that he said, uh, he called himself Jesus Christ I remember another like person David Koresh also called himself uh, Christ with his branch Davidians <laughs> so. yeah the um, it's a that's the thing you find with his uh, cults is that they are, and that's why Charles Manson was so particularly dangerous because not only did he order for killings, but he was a cult leader. And what is a cult? It's where, you know, you have a group of people following the dictates of one person or, you know, one authority figure that, um, you know, his, his or her word goes just absolutely and with uh, no other real room for, uh, outside opinions or outside influence. And they're usually very paranoid and very um, always jockeying for control and all that stuff. So you had this really dangerous combination. And uh, similarly, uh, another cult leader, not a serial killer, but uh, Jim Jones. You know, same, oh, yeah. same kind of thing, political, religious, uh, bizarre ego-driven ideology all uh, intertwined together resulting in the mass in that case mass suicide but also murder as well um, you know there's all kinds of cult organizations that have done absolutely abominable uh, things to their followers under the guise of providing them with a better life Yeah. No one that was in the truth told me it was over. All the liars uh, went down the road said it was over, but no one that I knew that was telling me the truth said it was over. So I guess it's not over as far as I'm concerned. In any ca <laughs> case, uh, do you have anything else to add? I have a couple things. Um... Well, first of all, uh, this was the first time I saw it today, and I just thought it was kind of long. Uh, like, it was interesting for a while, but I kind of, like, checked out as it as it went. Um, but, like, the, the trial scenes where there were just bursts of activity, like, his, like, ravings and, like, um, the family, like, being on the stand and some of the flashbacks, like, there was just enough of that to keep you engaged, um, at least for a little while. But uh, the cut I saw was three hours long. And so that was uh, that was a challenge, but um, anyway, definitely intense because I had was, to take breaks. It, it was slow. -mo. <laughs> yeah, I I couldn't afford <laughs> to take breaks, uh, so I, I just kept like. Uh, I had programming homework though, so it was okay. Uh, did anybody think that the narration that they had going on did that remind anyone else of the town that dreaded sundown? Like that voiceover guy <laughs> that would come on. 
it did just a little bit. And the, the other thing that I noticed is that the trial lawyer, um, Char uh, uh, Charles Manson, father of uh, Hardy's father in Back to the Future. Oh, really? Neat. It's, uh, <laughs> well, I thought the narration reminded well, me a little bit of like if Roger Serling did uh, Law and Order. I was Thinking. That was that was exactly the same thing I was thinking too. It was a very Rod Sterling esque, especially yeah. the very like, beginning and the very end. Twilight Zone. Yes. Oh. <laughs> I was pretty sure. I was pretty sure that's who we were talking about, but it's been a long time. <laughs> uh, um, in any case, I did, have, I did have another thing about it, like when uh, after the girls like shave their heads and they're like on the stand like you blind stupid people ah! um that did solve kind of a mystery for me uh, last time i did weightlifting like i was listening to a lot of okay. music by this guy called Brendel, and he has sound clips in like some of his techno songs and he used those lines and it's like oh that's where that's from i thought that was like a clip or something but if you listen to um, something useful, if you listen to White Zombie, um, there's I use, a lot. I use that too. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, sound clips that are taken from that uh, Diane Sawyer documentary that I mentioned. Um, I think it's on Astro Creep, if I'm not mistaken. That's where that. really uh, like. They really like stuff from Night of the Living Dead on that. Mm -hmm. Well, it's because it's <laughs> uh, it's because it's public domain. Well, and because. Rob Zombie is Rob Zombie and can't help himself. <laughs> well, in any case, did anyone else have anything else to say about this? Uh, uh, um, it's less of a horror movie than a docudrama. Like, don't go in expecting to have fun. Did you enjoy? Uh, did anyone enjoy watching it? I did. I was I was pleased that it was accurate to everything that I had read, um, and and was well executed. Don't it's speak to your five year old. <laughs> well, I don't know. The the action was pretty tame. Um, like it was long. Um, uh, I mean, I'm happy I saw it, so I can say I saw it, but I didn't necessarily enjoy myself. Um, mostly just because of the length. Like I don't know how you guys were able to like get out of jail free with a two hour cut of this thing. I didn't know there was a two hour cut. I, I wouldn't have watched it anyways. I want to watch the full thing. If I'm going to watch yeah, it, I'm going to watch, the full watch thing. it. Well, this is I just didn't... what I got on DVD. So, well, it makes <laughs> me wonder like, why, why did they cut that hour then? Like, because it was fairly like, everything was clearly important. There was nothing that you could cut, but it's like, wait, there's a two hour thing. Huh? It was so yeah, they, I can't even imagine what they would take out. Cause the whole thing built, it built up the entire story. So I can't see what you would cut out. I mean, it, it seems like I know they when they did the movie, the original one, there's a lot of stuff they couldn't really go fully into and they kind of had to gloss over. So I can't well, even imagine <laughs> shortening it even more. Well, and let's also, let's also not forget that this was not the first or the last movie made about the murders. You know, there was a... There no. was a Family. Um, yeah, the family. There was a movie from I think it was. I have a movie called The Manson Family, like on my yeah. shelf over there. I haven't seen it yet. Well, there was a movie from I want to say 
1969, I think, it was one of the first ones. It was called The Helter Skelter Murders. Um, it was shot in black and white, and uh, while the trial was still going on, uh, so they didn't even know what the end of the story was. Actually, that would be kind of neat to have just because of the significance of it all. A movie made not too long ago that ended up having a... a from it there was the 2004 remake of this particular which which that version I would like to see because it actually um, is told from Linda Kasabian's point of view which I would personally possibly find even more interesting just because uh, with the serial killer documentaries I watch I tend to not like and not watch the ones that are from the police investigation perspective, just because it's so kind of boring to me. I much prefer actually learning about the lives of the killers themselves and knowing, hearing from the people who knew them personally and that kind of stuff. My big goal with watching all that stuff is because I want to know some of the common threads for some of these people and what can, then the problem is with those documentaries and with movies like this, they never then take the next step and say, okay, what can we do about it? You know, what can we do to watch for these signs in people? What kind of, you know, if you have a child that exhibits these uh, traits, how can you get them counseling? How can you help them? There's only one documentary, an Australian one, about Peter Dupas that I saw that at all touched upon those kinds of actions, and that's sorely missing in the United States. If we don't think about solutions to these problems, then they'll just keep happening and we'll just keep uh, getting to the crime scenes with the camera footage just eating up the suffering and then not thinking about ways to actually prevent it from happening. Well, I see children in my, uh, in my practice uh, that bear a lot of signs when you go to antisocial personalities um, that just uh, lead towards that and... Uh, mm-hmm. You have to worry if some of these people do not get help or the help that they need. And the way that we typically deal with it in the mental health system is if they misbehave, oh, just lock them in the hospital where they learn from even more people like them or to do negative things. And uh, this is a, this is a sad, sad thing that our, uh, that our system has. And, and some can't afford the, uh, the help that, uh, the, uh, that's needed. Uh, so a lot of times uh, adults are often thro- uh, thrown back into the system and they can get pitted against uh, well, it's just, it's the just other res- people. Who are it's just recidivism and it's not actually solving the problem. It's just, you know, you messed up or you did something wrong or you committed a crime. Okay, we'll throw you in there for however long and then we won't actually work on solving your personal problems or fixing whatever conditions made you do this in the first place. Just poof out you go, repeat the same crime. Um, Medicate them first usually, but yes. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like it, um, it, uh, here's a, but there's, there is, there is hope though out there. There was this, uh, not a serial killer, but there was this documentary that I've told David before that I want us to watch. Um, it's called an HBO documentary. It's only a half hour called Child of Rage. And it's about a young girl who was severely neglected as a infant. And as such grew up with uh, like a, I forget the exact name of the disorder, but it's where 
She had absolutely no sense of empathy towards anyone whatsoever, which resulted in her doing unspeakable acts of sadism and torture of physical and sexual kinds towards her her brother and her family and animals and stuff. Um, but, uh, and it was, this is all real. It was all from the actual therapy sessions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but then she was able to get help uh, in this special, uh, like a kind of almost like a retreat, uh, like a therapeutic retreat. And apparently uh, after it was all done that she was healed more or less and did not um, commit any more acts of torture or anything like that. Um, but the bottom line is if you have people that have antisocial you know, personalities or have problems early on, if you get them help early enough and give them an environment in which they can be loved and nurtured, then in fact that might be the way to solving these things and not mm-hmm. produce the next Charles Manson. That vaguely reminds me of, uh, I've been watching Masters of Horror, and that reminds me a little bit of Dario Argento's episode, Jennifer. Ah, yes. With, like, the wild yes. creature woman. Yeah. Well, but it's just, like, it just, it. I, I go on a soapbox about this because, like, it matters a lot to me in general, but it especially matters when it's uh, from a, a child because too often it seems like we in our society only care after it's already too late. We don't care about when and the first signs happen. Correct. If some of the uh, these people are just born, I don't know, born with well, I don't, I personally, intent for evil. I personally don't subscribe to the notion that someone is necessarily born bad, but I do think that there's a lot of uh, genetic evidence to suggest that certain people might be predisposed to certain like addictions or you know tendencies or whatever just based on you know who their families are doesn't excuse their actions and it doesn't necessarily um, you know mean that they will necessarily be the way that some people in their family are you know you can be predisposed to being an alcoholic but that doesn't mean you'll be an alcoholic necessarily it just means that that's something to to watch out for you know yeah, I'm and just that gonna is, touch um, on that's how biology kind of bears out too. Um, I don't think they have good numbers for humans because experiments on humans, I guess, are distasteful or something. Um, but I, it's not. I don't think it's quite like fifty-fifty. It's I think it's something like sixty-forty and up. Um, but mm-hmm. environment does have a very big influence uh, on how people develop. And yeah. a lot, and a very large part of it is genetics too. So well, it's a combination of the two factors. It is, but also like if you live in a single parent household, if you, you know, like your upbringing shapes you a lot, and that's why like certain p- individuals or certain groups of people might be more predisposed to doing to committing certain types of crime just based on the tendencies of uh, those kind of determining factors being present in their lives and um it just what really basically it all boils down to having a stable home life of some kind feeling loved feeling nurtured and being given the essential tools with which to succeed in life in such a way that you know you can feel whole and um it just it matters a lot to me to talk about these things and to uh 
mention that just because I feel like uh, even if they don't become a serial killer or a mass murderer or a cult leader, if you can just say that and get the word out and just try to prevent these people from becoming criminals, you know, who would be susceptible to that, then that's really important to, for everyone, but especially for just the simple fact that people that need love and need that kind of healing that they can get it in some way. What's interesting that I can say is there, uh, there's an actual personal experience that I can somewhat mention. I had a friend on a time who was in a relationship with a Mormon. Uh, her mother actually sent a cult preventionalist uh, to uh, get out of this relationship and um, the things that I learned from uh, from this call is that I ended up being involved with the situation. Um, the the things that he said is that a totalitarian uh, relationship be with just one uh, 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 more than one person. It can be someone uh, uh, between uh, a one-on-one -on -one relationship with uh, with you and me or uh, or something uh, uh, vice versa relationship that he had mentioned was Ike Turner mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, any, and any uh, from what I get I mean, from what I get, uh, 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 gather, it can it can happen just between one, uh, one person and another. You know, it's it it, it doesn't mass group. It, it can be one, uh, 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 you know, relationship, and you can uh, that person could have power over you and make you do whatever the fuck they want. Well, it's absolutely the truth. I mean. Um... It's a um, that's where you get the whole idea of a master-slave relationship or a uh, dominant and submissive or just any kind of relationship in which one person has undue power over another, and that that's why you get authoritarian parents who exercise unbelievable power over their children in a way that's highly destructive, leads to depression and anxiety low self-esteem, yep. um, a lot of problems later on in life when the parent, you know, they, when their rule is, when their word is law practically for no real reason other than they're the parent, uh, then that can cause tremendous destruction. Fully agree. <laughs> but in any case, uh, I think I'm going to wrap this up here. So, um, uh, uh, go Round and see uh, what what everyone has done. Dane, why don't you tell us what you do and where you're from? Yep, um, I am Dane Kyle, uh, independent writer, director, and producer out of Charlotte, North Carolina. You can connect with me on YouTube. My YouTube channel is the Dane Kyle K E I L, and uh, I. Uh, have had a lot of recent success. I got one of my short films into a horror anthology feature film. I just got the news tonight that um, the film that I'm currently the most proud of, that um, it is going to be uh, able to be played on uh, a uh, Roku channel. And um, well, well, I don't want to say too much until I've signed the papers, which are going to be sent to me this, this week. 
but uh, they'll be played on their Roku channel pretty regularly as well as uh, be on their video on demand uh, such that I can get 50% of the profits uh, from whoever downloads it. And awesome. uh, it's just really sweet. I the film that I, the film that's going on there is one that I didn't ever intend really to be like a money maker. Not that this will obviously rake in like fifty million dollars or anything, but point is that I made it from my heart. I made it out of the darkest place of my whole life, um, and that just tells anybody listening just tells you that if you can really dig down deep and produce something constructive out of your experience rather than destructive like a Charles Manson would do, then you're left with something that could actually benefit you and benefit others a lot better and can last. Awesome. Um, and you told me about uh, that early, earlier, so I congratulate you here. Uh, yes. So um, hopefully just grows from there. Um, uh, Michelle, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you come from? Well, my name is Michelle uh, Yeager. Uh, I'm from Yeager Entertainment, model, actress, writer, comedian. Um, you can follow me on Facebook. You can find me um, either by searching Michelle Yeager or looking up Yeager Entertainment or Yeager Bomb Yeager. <laughs> Shit. Awesome. Uh, Whatever, just kidding. Tell us a little bit about yourself. From? Oh, well, I'm from... Go ahead. What was that? Go ahead. Oh, I'm from, say, I'm from Detroit, Michigan. Mm. So the okay. music, music capital. <laughs> um, I've been involved in the music industry. Um, acting, I say, I've done acting and modeling since the age of three years old. Awesome. Thank you for coming on, and hopefully you enjoy being with us. And uh, hopefully, well, thank we you for having me. Most definitely. So yeah. Hope you get to come back. Um, like, uh, like we did. Uh, Brandon, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Well, uh, I'm Brandon Farmer. I uh, Go by Septum Sen online. Um, the uh, a page I run on uh, YouTube is Septum Sen versus the World. Um, we're a slow-growing uh, media channel that specializes in physical media and collection of physical media. Um, we are uh, in the midst of a transition, of course, into the holidays and. Uh, We've uh, got Santa Claus doing reviews for us at, uh, for December. Uh, already have uh, two in the can coming in this week. Uh, Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol and Mother Krampus. Two movies that, of course, are very, very similar in, uh, in how they're executed, and, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Krampus Magoo. <laughs> so, uh, of course, uh, uh, again... Uh, we always appreciate uh, people uh, checking us out, and uh, uh, we enjoy what we do, so um, that's all that really matters. <laughs> Most definitely. Dustin, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Ah, shit. One moment, please. <laughs> By Dodd. 
<laughs> well, hello. Uh, everybody else was doing stuff with the camera. Well, I'm Dustin. I go to UWM. I'm currently studying GIS, uh, which is basically making maps with computers. And I collect horror movies and horror movie, well, anything. Uh, so I have an Instagram account for just showing off my stuff because there's so much of it. I mean, why not? Uh, that's ER Horror Hunter, uh, all one word. Uh, I also <laughs> occasionally have an eBay store, although it's empty right now. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just love coming on and talking about movies, and hopefully we get to do something a little bit more light next time. <laughs> next. So uh, what, uh, what film do we want to do next week, guys? Well, if you want light, then you definitely don't want to watch Child of Rage, even though it is very short. <laughs> um, and we could do the uh, we could do the Krampus movie series. There's a lot of stuff in there. You can just take the random ones. How about That's we do very the, light and frothy? If we do a Krampus movie, I want to do the good Krampus, not like not Krampus. Like the 2015 one? Yeah, like the real one. Do we? I'm thinking of two Krampus films um, at Holiday Horror. I've seen the anthology that's out there. I've seen the Christmas Horror Story. We could do the, the Krampus one that came out. The one that was directed uh, by tri the director of Trick or Treat. Yeah, Mike Doherty Krampus. I prefer to do that. Those I've, are great. I've seen I mean, the Christmas Horror Story had links. Pretty bad. Like, yeah, let's plan on uh, let's plan on doing uh, let's plan on doing that one then, and then uh, we'll plan uh, we'll uh, uh, we'll make sure that uh, uh, that uh, each of you get uh, gets a copy if you don't already have it. Oh, I got it. Uh -huh. Yeah, I have it too. <laughs> I have every single one of them. <laughs> I have all, I have almost every single one of. Them. Actually, if you guys get a chance to pick up the original Night of the Krampus, the uh, that's the original short that they did. Well, I guess it's not the original original, but it's one of the ones that originally kicked off the craze. It is a really cool little short film. Hmm. Um, is it online, do you know? No. The, a lot of the rest of them are just, you know, cheesy goodness, uh, aside from those two that you mentioned. <laughs> Well, one of them. Yeah, and uh, the mm -hmm. Christmas Devil Two is kind of, uh, but uh, <laughs> you don't have to lie; it was bad. In, in, yeah, <laughs> but in any case, uh, let's uh, plan on uh, that being next week's film then, and uh, hopefully, you, uh, you guys have enjoyed our uh, talk here, and uh, hopefully, we see uh, more. Um, coming up. So uh, thank you um, for coming back, people, and uh, um, say good night, guys. Good night. Like, share, and subscribe. Night. Do it. <laughs> Do it. God damn it. Good night, everyone. That's what I call getting some head. <laughs> nice job, Kermit. Thank you. Nice job, Kermit. Thank you. Nice job, Kermit. Thank you. <laughs>